two are welcome to Children's Church, which you'll find through the door over on the left side of the sanctuary near the piano, and uh, Mark Jennings. Uh, We're looking forward to hearing what God has laid on your heart. Great. Thank you. I want to make sure there aren't any older people trying to use this as an opportunity to, to sneak out, so I'm just checking the height level here. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. It's, uh, it's a strange holiday, isn't it? New Year's. Maybe it's strange to me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vent a little and then we'll move on. But what are we celebrating with New Year's? Right? With a holiday, you celebrate something, right? Christmas. We celebrated the birth of our Lord. Fourth of July, we celebrate our independence. I mean, even birthdays, we celebrate someone being born. And incidentally, having seen my wife give birth to our two boys, the mothers deserve the presents on the children's birthdays. But what are we celebrating on New Year's? We're celebrating time. We're celebrating the continuance of time. Were we so concerned that time might not continue that we decide to throw a party when it does? Why not have an oxygen day? Like, yay, today we continue to have oxygen. So I've been on this crusade against New Year's. My wife thinks I'm crazy. Looking at your faces, you think I'm crazy too. So I'm not going to ask you to buy into it, but I do think it's a bit of an odd holiday. One good thing about New Year's is it is a time where people will commit or recommit their lives to some sort of betterment. You know, the old New Year's resolution. And for, for some of you, uh, maybe that was to start going to church, and this is your first time exercising that New Year's resolution. I just want to welcome you here. I'm glad you're here. Uh, you may have heard about the real good preaching that's at South Shore Baptist. and You may have heard that the preacher is a real big, brawny, weightlifting guy. <laughs> I'm not him. <laughs> the, the Lord blesses some with brawn and others with beauty. <laughs> and that's just the way it, it falls. But I'm glad you're here. Pastor Jeremy has been leading us through a passage, uh, in the, I mean, leading us through a study of Isaiah, the writings of the prophet. It's been a wonderful study, and we're in that section of Isaiah uh, where the message of hope is being presented to his people. And to give you sort of the quick five-second recap about what's going on in Isaiah, uh, the nation of Israel had entered into a covenant relationship with God. Right? That happened at the Exodus on Mount Sinai. And as part of that covenant relationship, uh, they had certain obligations. One was to worship God only. Well, through the course of their history, Israel had continued to break their obligations. They had gone after idols. They had relied on other things than God. They had broken their covenant. So God inspired his prophet Isaiah to give a message of coming judgment for their disobedience, for their sin. That judgment would come in the form of exile by the Babylonian armies. However, God does not abandon his people. And part of the inspiration was also a message of hope, of grace, 
of salvation that would come after. And we're in that part of Isaiah today. And so it's an exciting uh, element to be in. And the passage we're going to look at is a very exciting passage. I think it's one of the best passages of all of Isaiah. For those of you who are familiar, Jeremy says that about every single passage he preaches on. So I felt obligated. It is a great passage, though, and the New Testament uses it a lot. And we'll, we'll get into that. Um, we're going to be looking today from Isaiah 52.7. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 52.7. Those of you um, who are visiting, we have pew Bibles in front of you. And you'll find it on page 730, I believe. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Before we read from God's Word, though, I believe it is always imperative, as this is the Lord speaking to us, that we we pray and open our hearts to Him. So join with me in prayer. Lord, Father God, we just humbly come before You with a thankful heart. Thankful that You have given us Your Scripture. You have inspired men like Isaiah to write your word that they may illuminate in our hearts. Lord, there's a lot of tragedy in the world today. and As we watch the growing unthinkable death count of what's happening in Asia, Lord, we can't help but be struck with questions. Lord, and we know there are hundreds of thousands of people asking why such a thing can be allowed to happen. Why a tsunami can claim so many lives so quickly? Why, if there is a God, would such a thing happen? Lord, we know there are those questions. Father, many of us, we have those questions. Even on our own lives, even if it's not on a grand scale, even on the own tragedies of our own lives, we ask these questions. But Lord, you are not a distant God. You are not a God afraid of questions. And Lord, we are thankful that you have given answers to us. Lord, let your word today be an answer to us. It is in your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Follow along with me. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. There's one verse, but in it is packed a very interesting message. There are actually two parts of this message. The first part talks about a messenger. Right? It talks about the feet of a messenger. And the second part talks about what the herald is proclaiming, his message. We're going to look at both of these, but I'm going to put off the discussion about the messenger to the end. I'm going to talk first about his message. And after all, isn't that what's important? You only care about the messenger because of the message that he brings. I mean, the UPS guy. Do you really care that the UPS guy just shows up and you can be like, hello, UPS guy? No. It's like, what do you have for me, UPS guy? 
I mean, it's the content that matters. So we're going to look at that first. The structure of this passage is actually very informative. If you look at it, Isaiah presents three elements that sort of build to a crescendo. Let's look again. It starts out with talking about the messenger, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those bringing good news. And then we get into this building crescendo. Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now why do I point this out? Well, you see, in the Hebrew poetry, what Isaiah is telling us by using this structure is that the key central point is the final point. The your God reigns. That's the essence of the message. And those preceding it merely talk about God's reign. What is God's reign? What characterizes the kingdom of God? And there you have peace, good tidings, and salvation. Three points. Now, don't you love it when God inspires a prophet to write a verse that fits a perfect three-point sermon format? I mean, I don't know if that was high on the level of, you know, checklist for inspiration, but it's, uh, I like it. It's cool for my point. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to be studying the kingdom of God according to the three elements it makes up. The first one, peace. Now what is peace? Peace is sort of a hard word to define, I think. At one level, it's easy to, to define peace by really saying what it's not. We all have a tendency, especially as a nation at war, we have a tendency to define peace as the absence of war. I mean, that's how many of us think of peace. And, and you could, could almost see how that might be how Isaiah is using it. I mean, the Israelites did just get, or will be attacked by the Babylonians. They will be shipped off in exile. So is that what Isaiah is saying here? Is Isaiah saying the kingdom of God is an absence of War. Well, the Hebrew word for peace carries a much more deeper idea. It's probably a word many of you are familiar with. Shalom. Many of you have probably heard that. Shalom. Now, what does shalom mean? Well, shalom, peace does not mean simply the absence of war. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it carries the idea of wholeness, of completeness, of being at one with. Nothing left hanging, nothing left as a remainder, nothing left incomplete. Everything in its proper relationship to each other and to God. That is Shalom. That is peace. So does that include a lack of war? Well, certainly. I mean, nations and peoples aren't meant. A proper relationship is not fighting each other in God's kingdom. But it's much deeper than that. The peace of God's kingdom is one of wholeness. One of completeness. Shalom. 
Now, the second element, as we read, who proclaim peace, which we've talked about, who bring good tidings. Now, the, the translation there is a bit, could be a bit misinformed. There's no tidings word in the Hebrew. Now, literally, the, the, the Hebrew is quite awkward, and so you have to make an adjustment for the English. But literally, the Hebrew says, who bear good. Just the word good. So you have to do something with that, and one of the solutions is, well, good tidings. The problem is, the emphasis is not on tidings. It's not good tidings versus bad tidings. The emphasis is on good. It's almost as describing the kingdom of God, which is good. It's characterized by peace. It's characterized by good or goodness. So what is goodness? Well, the tendency again might be to define goodness by what it's not. We might want to say, well, goodness is not badness. And we know what badness is, and goodness is the opposite. I mean, that's, that's a tendency to do. And so is, is that what is happening here? And, and is God good? Well, yes, certainly God is good. But when you see the word good used in a context of the kingdom of God, the idea is not a moral attribute. Like peace, like shalom, there's a deeper issue. In fact, the word good is found very early in the Old Testament, very early in Scripture. Anybody know, anybody remember where you find the word good? Exactly. At creation, in Genesis, you find the word good. God creates, and each aspect of His creation, as He looks upon it, He declares it is good. The sun, the moon, light, darkness, the waters, the land, animals, plants, fish, humanity. Each time there's an element of creation, God beholds it and declares it is good. Good. Now that should flavor and echo our understanding of what is behind the kingdom of God, God's reign being good. It isn't that it's not bad. What it is, is that it is fulfilling the purposes for which God intended. When God created... When he created the earth, it was as he intended. Before the fall, before sin, it was good. So as we look at what Isaiah is telling us about the kingdom of God, about God's reign, he is saying there will be nothing outside of what God intends in his purposes. It is good. You, and you see how that can be almost missed by simply good tidings? There's a depth there that the Hebrew 
brings out that Isaiah wants you to know that the kingdom of God is shalom and it is good. The third characteristic, salvation. Now salvation is at its base definition the freedom from bondage. Salvation is the freedom from bondage. And for an Israelite in exile, under the yoke of a, another people, that would resound to them. But in the Bible, salvation carries more than just the idea of freedom from the bondage of another people. It's freedom from the bondage of sin. Salvation throughout Scripture is freedom from the bondage of sin. Why were the Israelites in exile in the first place? Was it because they didn't have a very good military plan? Was it because they didn't build the good defenses or make good alliances? Or because they had a poor economic structure? No. Because they sinned. We just got done talking about goodness and how creation was good. Well, what happened in the rest of the story? What happened in the Garden of Eden? Eve was tempted and sinned. Adam transgressed the one command he was given by God. They sinned. And all of creation, because of that sin, because of that fall, everything was held now in the bondage of sin and death. Paul tells us in Romans that there is not one person who is in under the slavery, the yoke of the master of sin. So God's kingdom is salvation from the bondage of sin. What a, what a great message Isaiah is giving the people. He is telling them that all is not judgment, all is not exile, all is not loss, that there will come a day when God's kingdom will dawn. There will come a day when there will be shalom. There will come a day when it will be good. There will come a day when it will be salvation. And it is a message of hope and anticipation. What a great message. But I've got better news for you folks. I've got a better message than what Isaiah was able to give his people. He could only give a message of anticipation. The good news today is the kingdom of God is not simply a future reality. The kingdom of God is present and is, and is real right now in Christ. Scripture tells us this. The Gospels are full of this. John the Baptist. In Matthew 3, John the Baptist, who's the forerunner of Christ, right? He's coming right before Christ. He is telling the people to repent. Why? Anybody know? Because the kingdom of God is near. What Isaiah anticipates, John the Baptist is declaring 
over 2,000 years ago that it is near. Jesus, the main topic he talks about in his ministry, the topic you can almost open your Gospels at random to and find, is what? Kingdom of God. Beatitudes, Kingdom of God. Lord's Prayer, Kingdom of God. When he does miracles, when he exercises demons, what does Christ say about that? that it is proof the kingdom of God has come. In Matthew 10, he sends out the disciples. They're to proclaim a message. What are they to proclaim? The kingdom of God has come. Friends, for Isaiah, he could only look to the future and anticipate the coming kingdom. But for you, for me, for all of us, in Christ, It is not anticipatory. It is real. Now, is it fully consummated yet? No. No, there will come a day at Christ's glorious return. There will come a day when this world that is fallen and corrupt will pass away. See, right now we live in a kind of a a weird time. You've got, on the one hand, the corrupt age that is passing and overlapping it the kingdom of God which will never fail which was inaugurated with the coming of Christ and so we live in this sort of weird overlap oh but there will be a day where there will be no weird overlap and I long for that day I yearn for that day every Christian should pray that may this day be the day that our Lord comes. But in our hope for the future, let us not lose sight of the fact that if you are in Christ, right now, you are a part of the kingdom of God. Now what does that mean for us? What do we do with all of this? Well, if you are in the kingdom of God, if you are in Christ, if you believe that on the cross... Christ died for your sins and broke the bondage that you were had to sin and defeated death and reigns eternally. If you believe this, then your life can be, not just can be, but should be characterized by shalom, goodness, and salvation. Your life should be characterized by peace. And if you are in Christ, if you, be, if you are a believer in Christ and you know that your relationships with other people are not what they should be, if you know your relationship with God is not as He wants it to be, if you know that there are parts that are left out in your walk with the Lord, parts that are incomplete, not whole, be encouraged. Because right now, available to you through the victory of Christ is that peace. You seek it through prayer, through scripture, through fasting, through meditation, through fellowship with one another, and it is there for you through Christ. Now, if you're trying to find this peace other ways, what an absurd idea. And we've all done this absurdity. But if you're trying to find peace outside of Christ, I'm going to tell you, you're going to fail.
There's no other way to find peace, true peace, the peace of Scripture outside of Christ. But if you're in Him, you can have shalom right now. Goodness. The will of God. Walking in the will of God. Are you seeking direction in your life? We all are seeking direction in our lives. If you are in Christ, you can be an instrument of His purpose, of His will, as He intends. He can look upon you and say, it is good. Right now, that is available to you. Be encouraged. Don't seek the direction of your life outside of His will. That's silly. Because <laughs> that way is fallen and is passing away. How much better to seek a way that is eternal, sure, and secure? Your life right now can be shalom. Your life right now can have goodness. And it can have salvation. Now we tend to think of salvation as two moments. A lot of the times, if we're honest with ourselves, we think of salvation as two moments. We think of it as the moment we became a Christian. The moment of our faith. The moment where we confess that we are sinners worthy of death and that by God's grace, through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross, our sins are forgiven. We think of salvation as that moment. And then we think of salvation as judgment day. How because of our faith, at Judgment Day, when the books are open and God looks upon our life, our sins are erased. Right? And we are not judged to hell, but are allowed for eternity to be in His presence. Those are how we tend to think of salvation a lot of the times of those two moments. But I want to tell you, salvation characterizes your whole walk with Christ. Salvation is the freedom from the bondage of sin. And if you are a believer in Christ, and you are suffering from a pattern of sin, if your life is characterized by sin, repentance, the same sin, repentance, the same sin, and you're caught in this vicious cycle that as you are asking for forgiveness, you know in your heart you're probably going to do the same sin again in a matter of time. If you are caught in this cycle, I don't care if it's gossiping, I don't care if it's envy, I don't care if it's lying, I don't care if it's pornography, I don't care what it is. If you are caught in this vicious cycle to the point it is beating you down, be encouraged. Christ died on the cross so that you may have salvation from this very bondage right now. There is victory for your life in Christ. Not in your own willpower, not in, you know, in any other form or fashion, but Christ. Will a Christian sin? Yes, but that doesn't excuse it. Should a Christian's life have a pattern of sin? No. That should be an anomaly. A Christian's life is holy because Christ died for your salvation. That is the power available in the victory of His blood. Amen? Let your life reflect the holiness 
of your Lord. And it can be encouraged. It can. Now, I've been talking and practicing all of this with if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, if in faith you have accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. If you are not, if you are not a Christian, I want to entreat you today. This life is open to you. At this very moment, it is open to you. If you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you know you can feel it right now in your heart, you know you're a sinner. You have this moment, right now, to become a part of the kingdom of God. This moment will not always be available. There were, there were people lying on a beach, sunning themselves on holiday, probably without a care in the world, little idea that a tsunami was going to come at a force of 500 miles per hour. Now maybe a tsunami is not what's going to take you. Maybe it won't even be a car accident. It might not be cancer. It might not be sickness. It might be at the ripe old age, at the end of a so-called successful life, surrounded by loved ones. But there will come a moment when this invitation to have a life of shalom, goodness, and salvation will no longer be open to you. There will come a moment of death or the return of Christ. Oh, let it be the return of Christ. There will come that moment. Don't wait till the invitation is closed. In fact, if you're feeling the, the, the Lord just touch on you right now, don't even listen to the rest of what i got to say. Just start praying. Just, you know, silently pray. If, you, if you're worried about bowing your head because you don't want to make a scene, pray with your eyes open. You know, we all have done that before. Pray. Confess you're a sinner. Ask the Lord to come into your heart. Take Him as your Savior. Take Him as your Lord. Now this is the message of the kingdom. Man, what a great message. Right? What a wonderful good news. Now there are two elements. Remember I said there are two elements to this passage. The messenger and the message. We've talked about the message. So I want to talk a little bit about the messenger. If you look at again at the first part of verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Hmm. The messenger is characterized by the message. And the message is such a beautiful one that the messenger reflects that. Now when you hear this, it's easy to think. You want to almost automatically think of missionaries. I mean, they're very beautiful, taking the gospel where it has never been preached. I think of a woman named Nancy Furlong. I don't know where she is today. I don't even know if she's still alive. But she led children's church at the church I grew up in. And she helped lead me to the Lord as a young boy. And I can tell you, her feet are beautiful. 
I think of a coworker. In addition to going to seminary, I work full time, and I, there's a coworker of mine who does maintenance, and he is rough to look at. I mean, he is a a, a big nasty looking guy with tattoos covering his whole body, and you meet him, and it makes an impression. Let me tell you. But I overheard him having a conversation with another coworker, and he was talking about his tattoos, gang insignias all over. And he said to him, he said to his co- my coworker, he said, these tattoos represent a life I used to have before I was saved. I have Jesus Christ as my Lord and I live a different life. There it was, 10 seconds. In 10 seconds, this rough looking guy, the rough exterior, had beautiful feet. Many of you have beautiful feet. Many of you have had the opportunity to share the gospel to a son, to a daughter, to a brother, a sister, a mom, a father, a friend, a co-worker, a perfect stranger. In fact, if you have ever in your life had the opportunity to be blessed to share the gospel, just briefly raise your hand and then put it right down. Beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. Amen. Well, this is a time for New Year's resolutions. This is a time where we make commitments or recommitments about our life. A lot of them about our physical appearance. My wife has made seven for me. You know, so I've got a list to do. But as you're making these physical appearance resolutions, exercising, diet, growing your hair back, it's one of mine, um, make one of them to have beautiful feet. Make one of them to share the gospel. So next year, as you celebrate this absurd holiday we call New Year's, and you look back on 2005, may it be a year of beautiful feet. Let us pray. Father, today is a wonderful day. Lord, today is a day where you have allowed us to continue to exist in your creation. Lord, today is a wonderful day. Today is a day where you have allowed us to come together to seek to know you. Lord, today is a wonderful day. Today is a day where you have allowed us to have access to your word and your scripture. Lord, today is a wonderful day. Today is a day where the invitation to be a part of your kingdom is still open. Lord, today is a wonderful day. Lord, today is a day I will rejoice and be glad in. We praise you for your word. And we praise you for the sacrifice of your son. As the song we sang earlier today, that John led us in, let you, let you, let you reign in us. May the kingdom of God be present and reigning in us. It's in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.